This episode is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash best for your free audiobook download. Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Tom Hartman program, Ring of Fire, The Colbert Report, videos from Found Object Films, The Onion Radio News, The Rachel Maddow Show, La Show, and The Daily Show. I have a very special selection of music for today's show. Stick around at the end to find out why. The burning of coal and oil is estimated to kill 20,000 Americans a year, mostly through asthma and cancers that they get as a consequence of the soot and, and particulate matter and carcinogens that are being thrown into the air. This is a classic example, classic example of the internalization of profit and the externalization of costs. In back I think it was a year ago, June, we did our show from Denmark, from Copenhagen, for a week. And I interviewed a whole series of Danish politicians. And one of them, I, you know, I asked him, you know, why is gasoline $10 a gallon here in Denmark? And, you know, what, and he pointed out that there was like about a $6 that this was back when gas was 4 bucks a gallon here in the United States. And he said, well, it's $10 a gallon in the United States, too. You, just guys, you guys are just paying for it differently. And I'm like, what? How? And, and he's, well, you've got probably 2 or $3 a gallon is going to protect your, your military lines and your wars in Iraq and all, you know, oil all over the world. And then you've got 2 or $3 a gallon that's prob- that, that is going to protect, that is going to the cost of, of health. You've got people who are, who are sick because the oil companies have successfully externalized the cost of illness. So all the soot that's produced, all the cancers that are produced, all these things that are coming out of burning fossil fuels are not being paid for by the oil companies. And, you know, this, this new report, 20,000 Americans a year dying simply because we're burning coal and oil. You know, why aren't we talking about this in the context of, for example, cap and trade? Let's push down coal and oil, and let's promote things like hydro, geothermal, air, uh, wind, rather, uh, solar, all, you know, the, all the alternative technologies that are out there. We had an interview on this program a couple of days ago with, with a guy who's drilling for geothermal in, you know, off the coast of Texas into old oil wells. They're drilling down, and they're just finding hot rock down there and bringing, you know, bringing steam up and running turbines and producing massive, excuse me, massive and commercial-grade amounts of electricity. You're like an Inhofe expert, Senator Jim Inhofe, Republican from Oki, Oklahoma. He's the guy 
who said in, in 2003 that man-made global warming is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. So he has now announced that he is going to go to Copenhagen and work against the president of the United States. This is, what our, this is a Republican form of patriotism. Yeah. That when the president of the United States is negotiating a global treaty with every country in the world present, that we're going to go there and try to disrupt it and try to disrupt U.S. foreign policy. While Obama is saying we're with you, we're going to do this cooperatively, Inhofe is making his statements that the Democrats don't have the vote and that there's no way that this is going to happen. There's no way at all that Obama is going to get his way on this. This is just meaningless babble by the president of the United States. That's, in, that's Inhofe's message to the world leaders. Because most of the world leaders understand the guy is a buffoon. I mean, if you don't – even people who just know a little bit about Inhofe know that he's a buffoon yeah six years ago in milan there was actually when he went there and made that statement in 2003 there actually wanted posters uh with his picture on them all over the city because people <laughs> thought it's such like a, they took him seriously there and they thought he's just a criminal you know we know that he's just an idiot no there is a short list of of morons that the right. europeans it's, i mean it's amazing i mean it is that they know look if you ask me okay name a dozen european morons i, I couldn't do it i mean i you know i know a few of them uh, I'd begin with Berlusconi. I mean, it's yeah, a good Berlusconi. Start. Berlusconi's be a good start. He, he'd like be number number one. But most Europeans can go down the American dud list. I mean, and in, I mean, it's amazing. And when you travel over there, they they not only give you the intricacies of Obama, they can tell you who the nuts are, and they'll always talk about Inhofe. They used to talk about Delay. You know that now Delay's dancing. He's you know kind of out of that. Well, here's here's to two of our other favorite templates for dumb as you want to be. Uh, Sean Hannity, another prominent global warming denier, yeah. was on with Carl Rove this week on Fox. And do we can we do a recording of him? What do you make of here? Barack Obama saying we've got him going to address the United Nations later this week. He said that climate change is an irreversible um, uh, catastrophe if we don't address it. And he has his sort of mandatory jab at America, and that includes the United States, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we just came off one of the coolest years on record. And then Hannity says this. This is another piece of just, you know, lying. Actually, 2008 was the coolest year on record. Mm. This is what Hannity says. Well, it actually was the ninth hottest year on record. But it doesn't what make any difference. He was referring to was that a report by NASA climate scientists that said that 2008 was the coolest year since 2000, on record since the year 2000. <laughs> it's something unattainable that you can't live.
a whole year making no environmental impact. Lights, camera, microphone. Looks like he's making up for it tonight. Please welcome Colin Bevan. Mr. Bevan, thanks so much for coming back. Now you were here a little over two years ago, right? That's right, right. Now you were just you were just kicking off this little. You were you were just sort of the be near the beginning of your little no impact thing the last time you were here. That's right. We and just started not making trash and eating you just started local doing what? food. Not making trash. Well, I thought you said nominating trash. <laughs> um, now now you have a book about the entire experience. That's right. Okay, and a movie. Yes. About the experience. Uh, the book is called No Impact Man. The Adventures of a Guilty Liberal Who Attempts to Save the Planet and the Discoveries He Makes About Himself and Our Way of Life in the Process. <laughs> what is the carbon footprint of that title? <laughs> this much ink must be wasteful. That's right. What did you hope to do? The last time you were here, I knew you had big dreams about never using toilet paper for a year. <laughs> that, that, that seemed like a nightmare no one would want to go through. <laughs> Did you manage to stay true to your intentions? Well, here's what I hope to do. I hope to show that there was some way that each of us could make a difference. And we, you know, we went the full hog when it came to, came to living environmentally. But the real question is, is there anything that we're in a climate emergency? Is there anything that all of us can do? And so that was the hope to promote the idea that we can all contribute. And, and to people should change. know that you weren't off, you know, some in farm in the Berkshires. You were in New York doing this. Yeah, in, in a ninth floor apartment in New York City. That's right. So, so you would not use the elevator? We didn't use the elevator. And sometimes it's so funny because sometimes people say, well, that's so extreme not using the elevator. But now here in New York City, the city is promoting not using the elevator as a way to combat obesity. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I live outside the city. Um, <laughs> now, what, did you do this, uh, you know, to save the planet? Well, not that I could save the planet, but the, the idea is that... Well, you're the only one doing this, right? <laughs> actually, no. There's about 1,500 people that are going to live no impact for a whole week, and everybody can sign up at noimpactproject.org. I, I hope you'll be the first person to sign up. No chance in hell. <laughs> Matter of fact, while you're doing this, I might just burn a stack of tires. <laughs> let, let me ask you, after doing this for a year, like, just give me a ballpark estimate of how uh, much holier you are than thou. <laughs> Do you look down on the rest of us who are consuming all the time? No, because, it, you know, our whole culture is consuming. If it, you, that, that's the problem. We're all part no, of the system. that's the answer. We consume, <laughs> and that's how, that's how we keep the economy going. Right, but maybe... What did you add to the economy, sir? Maybe. What did you add to the economy? The idea that maybe we can find a better way to live. That's the, that's the hope, that we can actually find a way to live that's both better for the planet and better for the people. Did you, did, how, did, you're married, correct? Yeah, and still. You have, still married? Still? Yeah. Did, did, did it have an impact on, on your marriage? You know what happened was at first my wife felt like she was being dragged along for the ride, but then slowly but surely, because we let go of the, the TV and various other consumer things, we wait, ended wait, up... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> You let go of the TV? We did. Do, do you watch TV? What, once in a while. Once in a while. We don't have a TV in the you house You do not anymore. have a TV. How old is your daughter? My daughter's four and a half. Does she even know who Scooby-Doo is? <laughs> Does she know who Scooby-Doo is? Well, they told her at school. 
But here's what I wanted to tell you. <laughs> she had to learn about Scooby-Doo at school. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard. But what I wanted to tell you is that in, during our experiment, we were able to replace consumption with social connection, because that's the trade-off that happens in our culture. That is my social connection. <laughs> I'll see you at the mall. <laughs> Colin Bevan, thank you so much for joining us. The book is No Impact Man. A movie of the same name is coming to a theater near you. Well, you didn't wake up this morning because you didn't go to bed. You were watching the whites of your eyes turn red. Audible is supporting this episode, which I love because I've been using Audible for years. They have tens of thousands of titles, including audiobooks, newspapers, magazines, radio, TV, and premium podcasts. For this audience, I recommend... They have the heavy hitters, My Life by Bill Clinton, The Audacity of Hope by Barack Obama, but my personal favorites are like Lies in the Lion Liars Who Tell Them, Al Franken's latest book Before He Became a Senator, and America the Audiobook, put together by the writers of The Daily Show. As a listener of this show, you can get a free audiobook to try out this service by visiting audiblepodcast.com slash best. You have to go to that special URL, that's how they know that I sent you and that you deserve a free audiobook, audiblepodcast.com slash best. The ocean tends to be off of the radar screen for a lot of people. It's out there away from the coast. You know, most people's experience, if you ask them, what do you know about the ocean? They immediately start talking about their coastline, right? Well, the ocean's much bigger than that. One of the things I work on is how the chemistry of the ocean is changing over time. Normally how all this work's been done so far is scientists go out into the field and they'll select an organism, grab it, bring it back to the lab. And what we're doing that nobody's done before is we're taking our lab into the field. We drill coral cores and that's how we examine variability in the climate system. This is a four meter long coral core, and this one goes back uh, several centuries. As you work your way over, we go back through the entire 1800s, and all the way back down to the bottom, this coral started growing in the year 1692. Yeah, it's the history of the world right there. It's a library, it's a book of climate change. But we always ask the question, what drives these changes? We used to think of other explanations, but we keep getting focused back on carbon dioxide as the prime variable. What's happened is, unfortunately, nature has been cooperating with theory, and the prediction of warming is taking place at least as fast as it was suggested, and faster in many cases. The buildup of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases is higher than was predicted. Every time we see an increase in CO2 content of the ocean, that surface water becomes a little bit more acidic and it affects organisms that live there. The temperature and the acidification are gonna to work together. The two acting in concert, you know, is this kind of knockout one-two punch. My hope for a meeting like Copenhagen is that the oceans appear more prominently on the list of things we should be worried about. 
and the list of things that we should be examining. Copenhagen is close to the last ditched effort that we have for the planet to get together while there's still some time to avoid really dangerous consequences. If you want to know where we are in this ongoing experiment, where are we in this pathway into the world of the future, you have to know the temperature of the ocean. See you in Copenhagen. The giant greenhouse built over the nation is blamed for climate change. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Scientists and environmentalists are shifting the blame for global warming from man-made pollution to a giant greenhouse built over the United States in 1973. Many say the glass structure covering much of North America explains recent changes in the weather, plus the staggering increase in tomato production. Scientist Dr. Carl Gruber. It seems so obvious now. Uh... I really think scientists all over the country owe the aerosol industry a, a huge apology. Government officials believe the discovery of the enormous greenhouse may also explain the disappearance of over 450,000 aircraft in the past several years. Doyle Redland for The Onion, Radio News. Just have to trust imagination My heart goes 
George Will. This well, yeah, fun. Yeah, oh, it, it, it's great. We're talking about uh, climate change and, and the, the deniers, the people who say, like the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, that cold days, uh, are, are reduced exposure to cold days is a good thing and increasing life expectancy. What they're doing, what they do, Mike, is to take, you know, little snapshots of the weather. And they say in the last five years or ten years, there can't be global warming. You hear this from the Glenn Becks and the Rush Limbaugh's. Why? There have been, there have been many cold days. There have been places where it's been much colder than normal. Yeah, now, first off, we know that climate change is not about just cold weather, uh, no. cold weather or hot weather. It is about wild swings of weather. It's and, about uh, droughts. It's and, about and, and shifts. Uh, 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 storm activity. It's about the warming of, of currents that run through the ocean. That, exactly. That, oh, I'm that, sorry. That, You're science-based. You're fact-based. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know how that creeps right. into the conversation. Well, George Will, who is supposedly a very rational, logical guy, has written yeah, I know. seven, seven, count them, seven columns uh, saying that okay. there is no such thing as uh, global warming or climate me... change. He's done it as recently as, as this week, and here's what was fun. I don't know if you saw this, but someone, you know, he's, he loves baseball, and someone said that basically saying that anything that has happened in terms of a climate shift in the last five years or ten years, if we had a cold year or a hot year, is, is like saying that the Toronto Blue Jays, who won eight out of the last ten ball games they played? They should be the world champion, right? <laughs> they won eight of the out of the last ten. There were 152 games before that, and what? And and George Will, you know, sort of said, well, well, they didn't win. Of course, they didn't win, George Will, because this is this is a long season, yeah. and it is a long season of climate change that's lasted now for hundreds, thousands do, do, of years. Do you know who George Will has put himself in bed with? He's put himself in bed. I'm not with sure people. I want to know the answer. No, well, well, I probably can't name. Them all, but but how about Cole Baron Don Blankenship? His oh. cra- crazy talk about climate. Don Blankenship. Wait, let's, no, let's visit let me, this let, one. Let me, yeah. re- let me give you a quote. Please let's this remind is... people. Let's remind people who Don, if they've been listening to this program, they know who Don Blankenship is. But in case you're just tuning in for the first time, who's Don Blankenship? Well, he's the CEO of Massey Energy, which are the people that are blowing the tops off of mountains. At this point, at this point, Don Blankenship has been responsible for blowing an area in the Appalachian Mountains the size of Delaware, blowing him off the top of mountains, taking all the, the trash, dumping it into the rivers, into the forest, completely blowing the tops off of mountains all the way to where the mountain is one-third to one-quarter the size that it used to be, all the way down to the ground in some instances. In other but, words, he's a, he's a great American. Yeah, a great American. Forbes thinks he's a great American. He's, he's also been called the scariest polluter in America in one version or another. But I love this quote. Here, here it is. Here it is. This is Don Blank. This is Don Blankenship being interviewed by Forbes magazine. Who they they love the you know this is perfect for Forbes. This is their kind of guy, Don Blankenship. I don't know how we let the enviros and the humanitarians off the hook, and they continue to stymie the development of other countries. You've got people dying of preventable diseases every day, and yet we're getting ready to spend billions of dollars on climate change. In other words, this is his best response for, is, is mountaintop mining bad for America? He, comes, he, said, he says it's a hoax. It's a Ponzi scheme. Climate change is a, is a Ponzi scheme. It's being it's being manufactured by the tree huggers. He says hyperbole in the press is the problem. He says, I've protected West Virginians every chance I get. Well, the truth is more people are dying from respiratory disease in West Virginia than any place in America. And you know something, Mike, the New York Times, and this is, you've got to love the fact that he is concerned about preventable disease, Don Blankenship, because in a recent New York Times profile of West Virginia, 
Okay, where all of his his great work for the country and, and protecting the citizens is going on, people actually try to avoid contact with tap water. Yeah. You know why? It causes rashes and scabs and dissolves the teeth of children. Yeah. This is the preventable disease that Don Blankenship Highest says. Highest cancer rates in America. If if the enviros would just go and the tree huggers would just go away, then we could we could do business and we could still take the tops off mountains in West Virginia and and heal the children by. Uh, causing them to avoid contact with their drinking water. Blanket, There's something wrong you, you with this picture. Blankenship does. Blankenship has made almost billions by blowing off the tops of your mountains, my mountains, West Virginia's mountains. But what he does every Christmas is he loads up. <laughs> I swear to God, this is his way of giving back. He loads a truck up with turkeys, and he drives small town to small town and hands out turkeys and. You know, this is this is a gift from Don Blankenship. This is what the coal industry's done for you. They've given you a turkey. Yes, they've killed your children with disease. Yes, you probably won't be able to breathe in another 10 years. We've destroyed your rivers. We've destroyed your air. We've destroyed your forest. We've blown off the tops of mountains all over the old forest of Appalachian. But here's your turkey. This guy should be arrested. Not not just for a lot of other things. But this is a guy that should be arrested. Not not simply not simply handled as as Forbes makes him look like he's some kind of uh, capitalist hero. He's not. He's a thug. This is like a, a bad John Grisham novel. When you hear about Don Blankenship, he's almost like a fictional character. It's almost hard to believe, except it's real. And, you know, point of fact, people should be shining a light on what he's doing in West Virginia. I know you and Bobby have been doing that, but it is essential that people know about this. Follow this. Just, Keep they, this guy. They ought to go online. They ought to Google this guy, Don Blankenship, Massey Cole. They, they, they will see the picture of one of the ugliest human beings walking around in America right now. Well, Mike, as bad as Blankenship is, there is some good news about what's going on in terms of regulating coal mining. Uh, according to, I guess it's the West Virginia Register Herald, there's a story out that the Obama administration, now you would never have seen this story during the last eight years of the Bush administration, but the Obama administration is putting the brakes on 79 applications for new surface coal mining permits in four states, saying that they'd violate, huh, the Clean Water Act. Mm -hmm. So at least, you know, for people who have been critical of this president, you're one of them. I've been one of them. I, I got to say that the devil's oh, in the details. Great, great and this result. is a great thing. Yeah. Because you know why? Because he knows Congress won't do anything, so he's trying to do it by way of organization. EPA. Almost a third, almost a third of those permits, by the way, are pending for West Virginia. <laughs> All of them in Southern Coalfield. now headed for the Senate has inspired some really momentous political fakery. 
You will recall that the coal industry's PR firm stole letterhead from local senior centers and groups like the NAACP and then wrote letters to Congress on the stolen letterhead to make it look like those groups were against cap and trade. And when the coal industry set out to build a website supposedly showcasing real people, regular Americans who were against cap and trade because they just cared a lot about coal. The coal industry found those real people by buying pictures of them from I stockphoto.com. The coal industry has also been, the energy industry rather, has also been hosting energy citizen rallies, one of which in Houston we covered on this show because it featured oil company employees bust into the event by their employers, which makes that rally one of a group of very specific types of energy citizens. Well, now today, the Washington Post reports that the energy citizen rallies end with an emotionally poignant video, a video that shows a whole bunch of people looking right in the camera and saying meaningfully, I'm an energy citizen. I'm an energy citizen. And me, I'm an actor paid to say I'm an energy citizen. Quoting from today's Washington Post, quote, some of those films for the video were actors, a Petroleum Institute spokeswoman said. Oh, right. Had you already figured out that Energy Citizen was funded by the American Petroleum Institute? We asked the American Petroleum Institute if we could please get a copy of that video, the one they are showing at public rallies all over the country. We were told by them that it was not available publicly for contractual reasons. That sort of thing happens when you hire actors. So if you have attended one of the American Petroleum Institute funded rallies and you happen to tape the event with your camera phone or some other device, you know, you, you could email me, rachel at msnbc.com, I'm just saying. It's gonna take a little time while you're waiting like a factory line. I'll ride across the park, backseat on the 79. Wasted days, you've come to pass. Within 60 years, the Arctic Ocean could be a stagnant, polluted soup. That sounds good. That's good eating. Without drastic cuts in greenhouse gas emissions, the transpolar drift, one of the Arctic's most powerful currents and a key disperser of pollutants, is likely to disappear because of global warming. This according to new scientists. The transpolar drift is a cold surface current. Man, I know that feeling. It travels right across the Arctic from central Siberia to Greenland and eventually out into the Atlantic. Together with the Beaufort Gyre, the transpolar drift keeps Arctic waters well mixed and ensures that pollution never lingers there for long. To better understand the dispersal of pollution in the Arctic, Ola Johansson, director of the Nansen Environmental and Remote Sensing Center in Bergen, Norway, and his colleagues decided to, to study the spread of radioactive substances from nuclear testing, bomb factories, and nuclear power plant accidents. 
Measurements taken between 1948 and 1999 were plugged into a high-resolution model of the ocean's circulation combined with a climate model. Their model confirmed that most pollutants, including pesticide, petroleum residue, and nuclear fallout, are currently washed out into the North Atlantic by the transpolar drift, but perhaps not for long. In a business-as-usual scenario in which atmospheric carbon dioxide levels double by 2070, Johansson and his colleagues found the transpolar drift stops, the Beaufort gyre and Gulf Stream weaken considerably. One reason for this sluggish behavior is a change in wind patterns driven by global warming and rapid melting of the Arctic sea ice. So don't go swimming in the North Atlantic in 2050. That's my recommendation. Psychological barriers like uncertainty, mistrust, and denial keep most Americans from acting to fight climate change, says a task force at the American Psychological Association. Policymakers, scientists, and marketers should look at these factors to figure out what might prod people to take action. How about fear? That's that's a thing. Catholics in two southern Swiss Alpine communities want to give up a centennial tradition of praying for the retreat of mountain glaciers and switch instead to prayers against climate change. A lot of ice has already melted, says the priest, Pascal Vernetz. He's seeking the approval of Pope Benedict for the change on behalf of his parishioners, and an audience for the local bishop is reportedly being arranged in Rome. Since the end of the 17th century, the faithful in the districts have blamed the nearby Alec Glacier, the longest in the Alps, for flooding and prayed for it to melt. No more. Climate change is melting America's glaciers at the fastest rate in recorded history, exposing the country to higher risks of drought and rising sea levels. According to U.S. government study of glaciers, the long-running study of three benchmark glaciers in Alaska and Washington state by the U.S. Geological Survey indicated a sharp rise in the melt rate over the last 10 or 15 years. Scientists said the three are representatives of thousands of other glaciers in North America. The The melt rate has definitely increased says Ed Josberger. This certainly is a very strong indicator that climate change is occurring and its effects on glaciers are virtually worldwide. And the cure is worse than the disease, at least in the terms of, in the case of geoengineering. According to Science Daily, geoengineering techniques, which aim to slow global warming through the use of human-made changes to the Earth's land, sea, or atmosphere, well, it may cause other environmental harm, according to new research. Ecologists discussed the viability of geoengineering at a recent symposium, concluding it's potentially dangerous at the global scale where the risks outweigh the benefits. The bigger the scale of the approach, the riskier it is for the environment, says session organizer Robert Jackson, Duke University Center on Global Change. Global alterations of the Earth's natural cycles have too many uncertainties to be viable with our current level of understanding, he says. Yeah, because we're so smart. And I won't be satisfied till there's nothing left that I haven't tried. For some people it's an easy choice, but for me there's a devil and an angel's voice. Well, I don't know what I am looking for, but I know that I just want to look some
humanity for the longest period of time, up until the beginning of the 20th century, has only gone on one source of power, sun. We use the sun to grow our food, we use the wind to, to churn it to, through windmills, to move our boats. We've always consumed sun power that was fresh because we didn't know how to store it. Then we figured out the planet knew how to store it 100 million years ago, and we started abusing that. We have a huge climate crisis. Today we're growing the amount of emissions. We have to figure out a way to, to slow down. This is the perfect opportunity to fix the economy and the environment at the same time because coal is not sustainable over time because of its pollution. We're going to run out of oil sometime this century. Now's the time to create a whole new set of green, sustainable jobs. In particular in the car sector, we have to figure out cars and we have to figure out a solution for oil all at the same time. You can't solve for one while destroying the others. We looked at the question of how do you get people to stop driving gasoline cars. And we figured out you can't do it by an edict. You, you have to do it by convincing the consumer to go buy a car that does not use gasoline, that doesn't use oil. If you take oil out of the equation, you create battery and electrons, and the electrons come from renewable sources, so it's clean zero carbon footprint. Changes the, the economics, changes the convenience so that electric cars are cheaper and more convenient than gasoline cars. So we have a chance to solve multiple problems at once by getting our acts together at home and switching toward more sustainable energy systems and lifestyles. And Copenhagen will have to be the world event that catalyzes people to go on that path. We're gonna have a billion tailpipes spewing out CO2. If we don't stop it, every day that passes, is harder and harder and harder to solve it. We only have 35 years or 40 years or 50 years from a climate catastrophe. There's not a lot of policy that is required from governments, but the signal, the importance, we'd like this thing to happen, is critical. It's amazing what the public can do. It's amazing what a galvanized shared vision does to a political body. We've got to go back to the fresh sun power, not to the old sun power. See you in Copenhagen. Close your eyes, don't want you to see where I'm taking you tonight. Let's just say it's a
economics at the University of Chicago and co-author of the best-selling book, Freakonomics. His new book is called A Super Freakonomics. Please welcome back to the show, Steve Levitt. Super Freakonomics, the highly anticipated sequel to Freakonomics. You, you, you've done it this time, Stephen Levitt. You, your last book was somewhat controversial, but you have taken on global warming. Yeah. And uh, uh, I would imagine you, you'll be getting some emails. That's all I'm going to say. How, what's the response been to, to this book as opposed to the other? I think good. I mean, nobody knew who I was when we wrote the first book, and so it was hard to get any traction. In fact, the only time we got traction was we, somehow we got on your show, and suddenly you made economics cool. And uh, I think we sold an extra million books because of you, so I uh, checked in the mail uh, in that regard. I am a powerful, powerful media presence. You are. Uh, I find this kind of stuff really fascinating and like uh, uh, is, is it written to be sort of uh, uh, just a little brain tease like stuff to think about to get conversation going because your writing is not polemical it's, it, you don't seem to be taking political stances but you seem to be attracting a great deal of controversy Yeah, we, I, I try to take on topics that are interesting uh, and strip away the moralism and, and put together economics and you know, terrorism, economics and global warming, economics and prostitution, and see what, what's left when you've gotten rid of the moral part. That is what people usually think about. Well, I can tell you what's left with economics and prostitution. Uh, <laughs> a lot of crime. <laughs> but that's not the part. You know, the, 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 the prostitution argument, which, by the way, in the book is that uh, prostitutes who work with pimps actually do better. Than, than when you take yeah, out the moral actually, argument of prostitution yeah. and the physical violence that pimps portray to them. <laughs> but, but they do better monetarily. Yeah, that's uh, the heroes, if you want to have it, in our, uh, in our prostitution story turn out to be the pimps. It turns out the police are not that great. Uh, it, uh, a Chicago prostitute is more likely to have sex with a police officer than to be arrested by a police officer. Is that true? It is true, yeah. It's a sad truth. <laughs> And, and, and would the badge number ever come up at that point? Or, uh, let, let's get to the global yeah. warming, because that's the one where I, I have been somewhat surprised at how angry people are you. Because I, 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 the global warming chapter, you don't deny global warming. You don't say that CO2 isn't a factor. But they, they feel you are betraying uh, environmentalism or yeah, well, our we, world. What, what, yeah, what is it? Why are people I, so I, mad? I think you're right. So we start... With the science. I mean, we didn't, I'm not a scientist. I don't try to pretend I know the science. So we try to start with the, the facts that agreed on. The world's getting warmer, uh, and maybe there's going to be cataclysm we need to do something about. Okay? But instead of jumping to the conclusion that uh, mankind owes a, a debt to future you know, mankind to, to not put carbon in there, we ask a different question, which is if we really wanted to cool the earth down quickly and cheaply and in a way that's reversible, what would we do? And the answer, I don't think at all, is not carbon mitigation, because that's, number one, very expensive, a trillion dollars a year to do it. But the biggest reason is that it takes 50 years because of the way carbon stays in the air. If we really cut carbon today, the benefits will be 50 years from now. The Earth will continue to heat up. And so some scientists have what are called geoengineering solutions, so different ways. And some of them are quite environmentally friendly, like kind of seeding clouds to grow over the oceans, and others are kind of science fiction, like running a 100,000-foot uh, garden hose up into the sky and spraying one. sulfur dioxide. 
right out there. So, yeah, it was, the, it was and, the guys wanted to use uh, uh, the garden hose. And there's like kind of these mad scientists that, that come up with these solutions. Uh, like they have one for uh, getting rid of hurricanes. It's like cooling the water by floating little pontoons out in the Gulf of Mexico. Exactly. Why yeah. don't we try this stuff? See, I don't understand why... Uh, people are angry about this. Why does it have to be so dogmatic? No, the only way to do this is to get us off of fuel, mm-hmm. uh, fossil fuels, and and use these the squirrely light bulbs that curl, <laughs> and not try this crazy umbrella. I love this umbrella thing. <laughs> but why? You don't say in here that conservation is useless or or can't be done. You're just suggesting other things. Have you stepped on a secular religion? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think the idea that that we don't have to pay the price for polluting uh, is a really really hard idea for people to take. I mean, it seems to me you stick that put the moralism away. Just how do you how do you solve the problem? Right? We got here. You know, we burned too much stuff. We burned That's it right. fast. And, you know, there are all sorts of other reasons why you don't want carbon in the air. So I don't want to say this is a real this is a and, you, and you're you're also factoring in human nature. You're saying uh, uh, we are not going to be able to reverse. 5,000 years of human nature, which is to do things easier, quicker, louder, and with more smoke. Uh, so, so why not put up an umbrella? Yeah, so it's, it's a band-aid. I mean, you've got to be realistic about it. You put All this right. up, it buys you time. If, if, if the worst things of, of the climate predictions are still coming true, right. then it gives us 50 years to have more technological solutions. to. Well, to I appreciate anything to the conversation, and, and I, I don't think that you are somehow denying uh, science or any of these other things, and I'm, I'm sorry you're taking so much for it. But uh, uh, the only other thing I would say is we should apply some of this stuff to another field, economics. <laughs> because this is the kind of thinking that could maybe help us with the like banking crisis and, and things like that. Maybe that's your next book, like super freaky economics. Yeah, super casualist, fragilistic. I, I, I really don't know what I'm talking about, do I? <laughs> All right. I, I've apparently f- frightened our audience by suggesting <laughs> by suggesting that conservation isn't the only way out of any of the problems of the world, and I sincerely apologize, and I do also believe we should just eat vegetables. <laughs> Super Freakonomics is on the bookshelves now. It's recyclable. <laughs> Steve Leather. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so, and this I know for sure. She really wanna but can't stand to see me walk out the door I can't stand to fight the feeling Cause the thought alone is killing me right now I thank God for mom and dad for sticking two together Cause we don't know how Nothing at all. We get together, oh, we get together. But separate's always better when there's feelings involved. You know, Bobby, I don't know if you caught the story where Toyota. I just 
really pisses me off. Here you got all these Americans that are buying Prius hybrids. I mean, you you have a Prius hybrid, don't you? I mean, they're buying Prius hybrids. Yes, I do. They're thinking, well, okay, I'm doing this because I'm supporting a company that believes that we need to be stewards of this environment. We need to fight back the freaks who are out there saying that there's really nothing happening, that it's just a normal change, everything's cool. But Toyota refuses to say, they, they refuse to come out and say, look, the Chamber of Commerce is being run by lunatics. Lunatics who say that it's good that we're going to have uh, the Arctic disappear because we're going to be able to, our shipping lanes are going to open up. They also say that, look, it ain't such a bad thing because cold weather is bad for our health anyway, so this warm weather is going to be good for us. And at, at the same time, they all admit, all these spokesmen for the Chamber of Commerce, except Donahue, you know, who's, you know, the guy hears voices when he's alone in a room but this is but everybody admits that we know we have climate change that's catastrophic but the toyota you know they won't they won't do what nike did they won't well, do what right uh, Apple i did. think a lot of people are disappointed in toyota particularly those of us who are prius buyers because toyota now is complicit in the u.s chamber of commerce's efforts to derail climate control legislation in this country, and they're putting millions and millions of dollars into that effort, and Toyota's contributing to that. So the uh, Prius owners and other pe members of the public, people who buy Toyotas, have been writing Toyota, asking them to withdraw from the chamber. Toyota's refused. Well, we know that there is a rift within the Chamber of Commerce. We've, we've talked about it before. The more responsible companies are now dropping out like flies. There's also, interestingly enough, a riff, and this is actually really fascinating, a rift on Capitol Hill with the energy bill. because, And it's a rift we've never seen before. It's a rift between big coal, big oil, king coal, big oil, and the natural gas industry. And particularly, there is a wedge now for the first time in history between natural gas on the one hand and coal and oil on the other. Natural gas, which could really profit from the bill, and particularly the stronger the bill is and the stronger the price that we put on carbon, because natural gas only produces about 40% of the carbon that coal does. And natural gas, we have this extraordinary opportunity with natural gas, because over the past two years, Mike, and the energy markets don't even reflect this at this point, but over the past two years, we found the greatest deposits of energy in history here in the United States. And it's in natural gas. It's in the Hainville Seychelles. It's in the Marcellus Shale. We have found a thousand trillion cubic feet of natural gas. It, you know, ga natural gas is so much a preferable fuel to coal. Natural gas produces only 40 percent of the greenhouse gases. It produces almost no mercury, and today we have mercury in every fish in America coming from these coal-burning power plants. It does, produces very, very little in the way of acid rain. It produces no ozone and particulates. Ozone and particulates kill 60,000 Americans every year from coal plants, cause a million asthma attacks, a million lost work days. And the, the injury to the environment that is caused by gas exploration and drilling is dwarfed by the kind of industry you and I have seen in Appalachia and elsewhere from mountaintop removal mining, where they literally flatten the entire landscapes permanently. They've buried 2,000 miles of rivers in coal country in eastern Kentucky and West Virginia. They flatten a million acres, cut down the 500 biggest mountains in the state. So coal is actually criminal. It's a disaster, and gas is much preferable to that. If we can get 
the regulators to start requiring the gas industry to use these technologies that that diminish their use of water. So the now, fight on wall, uh, the fight in Washington is is the big fight is well, between the, the two the, camps. You know what? For many years, the, the gas industry has huddled under the wing, the protective wings of big coal and big oil, and said, "We'll, you know, we'll do whatever you say." And so, you know, within the gas industry, there was a lot of naysayers on global warming. A lot of people were saying it doesn't exist because that's what the coal industry and the oil industry were saying. Now they're saying, "Wait a minute." We can make a lot of money because we're the bridge fuel to the new energy economy. We don't need to, you know, throw our our bag in with coal and oil. They are actually our enemies. They are trying to steal the money. And in fact, big coal gets all the big subsidies from the new energy bill and natural gas gets almost nothing because they haven't been looking out for their own interests. Let me just tell you something, Mike. We use a thousand gigawatts of energy in our country every day. That's the demand, approximate demand. About half of that is carbon-based. We have 450 gigawatts built, constructed, generation power for gas. That means we have 450 gigawatts of power plants that are powered by gas. The problem is those plants are only used 38% of the time. We have only... 320 gigawatts of coal power, but the coal plants are used 99% of the time. Why is that? Well, in every state, there's a rule called the dispatch rule that says that the utilities have to dispatch coal power before they dispatch gas. The, so that if you have a gas plant across the street from a coal plant, both of them are capable of putting energy in your lines the utility is required to use the coal-fired plant first. Now, this is a stupid rule for our country. If we were to change that rule overnight without building one new power plant in our country, we could immediately reduce our carbon by 20%. We would replace the the coal with gas, we would reduce our carbon by 20%. We would eliminate most of the mercury discharges. We would eliminate the ozone and particulates. We would save our country billions. We would get greater reductions in carbon than we could get if we passed the Waxman-Markey bill and at a tiny fraction of the cost and in no time. One gonna heal my body, another gonna heal my pain. One gonna settle me down and bring me back up again. One gonna put my family back together again. Keep me warm and 
With the world's oceans absorbing 6 million tons of carbon a day, a leading oceanographer warns of disaster. Carbon dioxide emissions are turning the waters of the Arctic Ocean into acid at an unprecedented rate, scientists have discovered. Research carried out in the archipelago of Svalbard has shown in many regions around the North Pole, seawater is likely to reach corrosive levels within 10 years. The water will then start to dissolve the shells of mussels and other shellfish and cause major disruption to the food chain. By the end of the century, the entire Arctic Ocean will be corrosively acidic. This is extremely worrying, says Professor Jean-Pierre Gattuso of France's National Research Scientific Research Center. We knew that the seas were getting more acidic, and this would disrupt the ability of shellfish to grow their shells. But now we realize the situation is much worse. The water will become so acidic, it will actually dissolve the shells of living shellfish. See, and you feel bad. At least you're not a muscle. Despite a slight recovery in summer Arctic sea ice in 2009 from record-setting low, low years the last two years, the sea ice extent remains significantly below previous years and remains on a trend leading toward ice-free Arctic summers. That's from the University of Colorado at Boulder's National Snow and Ice Data Center. Good place for it. According to the center, the 2009 minimum sea ice extent was the third lowest since satellite record-keeping began in 1979. The, fa- the last five years have seen the five lowest Arctic sea ice events ever recorded. It's nice to see a little recovery over the past couple of years, but there's no reason to think that we're headed back to conditions seen in the 1970s, said the Institute's director, Mark Cerezi. We still expect to see ice-free summers sometime in the next few decades. Converting the trash that fills the world's landfills into biofuel may be the answer to both the growing energy crisis and to tackling carbon emissions. This is uh, the claim of scientists in Singapore and Switzerland. 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 New research published in Global Change Biology Bioenergy. Revi- uh, yeah, my subscription lapsed. I, I, I'm copying somebody else's copy. This new research reveals how replacing gasoline with biofuel from process waste could cut global carbon emissions by 80%. Biofuels produced from crops are controversial because they require an increase in crop production, which uh, helps build the dead zones, which are growing in bodies of water around the world. But second-generation biofuels such as cellulosic ethanol derived from processed urban waste may offer dramatic emission savings without the environmental catch. Our results suggest that food from Fool from processed waste biomass, such as paper and cardboard, is a promising clean energy solution, says study author Associate Professor Hugh Tan of Singapore's National University. If developed fully, this biofuel could simultaneously be part of the world's energy needs while also combating carbon emissions and fossil fuel dependency. So, the more waste you generate, the more fuel you've got. Throw away some crap today, won't you? Thanks for listening, everybody. So as many of you know, um, on occasion, I like to tell a, a story or two when I feel like something vaguely interesting has happened to me, something worthy of, of being told on, on the show during these just few minutes here, here at the end of the show. And so today, I could tell the story of how just 
in the past two days, you know, it was just two days ago, I uh, was able to meet the governor of Maryland and, uh, you know, at a, at a social event. And he came up to me unsolicited. He put his arm around my shoulder and whispered something in my ear. That's 100% true. This all happened. I could tell that story, but I have bigger news to tell first. So that story's going to have to wait for another show, just to give you a sense of the type of news I have. So now, first of all, the big news, of course, is uh, during the last episode and over email and Facebook and Twitter and uh, yelling at all of my friends in person, telling them to buy the new, awesome, best of the left iPhone and iPod Touch application. Uh, So, of course, now we need to see how things went. Well, I'm very happy to report uh, that the, uh, the app is listed in the news category of the iTunes App Store. And yesterday afternoon, I'm speaking on uh, Friday, so uh, so Thursday afternoon, the Best of the Left app reached number one, number one app in the news category. And look, I'm a totally honest guy, so I'll I'll be totally honest. It didn't stay there for that long, but it was there, and I took a screenshot of it. So I have proof forever, and uh, and plan on continuing to brag about that. Uh, ad infinitum. So that's very exciting, obviously. Uh, right now, I just checked, uh, and it's hanging out at number 18 in, in the news category. Awesome. Uh, it has a bunch of five-star reviews. People seem to be liking it. I've been getting emails. People have been liking it. So if you are out there and you have not purchased it yet and you're thinking about it, considering it at all, uh, just know that the, the reviews have been good. And literally, I've gotten one, one person wrote a three-star review he said, you know, he, he wasn't excited. He didn't think there were any special features. And, you know, you might as well, you know, the, the free podcast is awesome. You should totally listen to the free podcast, but don't bother getting the application because it, it, there are, are no uh, no extra features worth buying it. And it just turns out he's wrong. So, you know, no no problem. He's, you know, he's just confused. Um, but, I, but he brought up a couple of points that I, I think a lot of people might have or be confused about, and so I actually wanted to address that. And, uh, and I sincerely hope that he uh, you know, catches on and, and is able to make use of, of the extra features. So the one thing he said was, you know, because it's an application and it streams the, the show online, you can't multitask. You can't use, you know, you can't listen to the show and do something else at the same time. And that's actually not true. And so, you know, for those of you who don't care about this, I'm sorry, but I, I don't have a way to contact just the people who, who bought the app, so I have to tell everyone. But um, when you click on a show and, you know, you want to listen to the show, instead of clicking the big play button that, that's right there in the middle, click the extras button and it brings up a, a list of, of basically the extra features for that episode. And one of the choices is background play. And what that means is the show will actually play in the background on your iPhone or iPod Touch, and then you can multitask. That's exactly what it's there for because, I mean, frankly, I would have been really upset if, if it had been an application that, you know, you're trying to listen to a show that's an hour long, but you can't do anything else at the same time. Believe me, I would be on your side. I'd be complaining about it too. So, uh, so there's background play. And then the other major thing I want to point out, just because he said, you know, there are no no other features, is there's literally bonus content. You know, the, the, the free podcast is awesome. Everyone knows it. 
But in the application, because I can, I, I tack on an extra clip that isn't available in the regular feed. You know, it's it's available to members through the raw feed, but that's a totally separate thing. And um, and this is delivered right to your device through the internet. So you know, that was the one person who said that they were you know vaguely dissatisfied with it. And he just hadn't found all the great features yet, so he thought they didn't exist. And I just want to mention really quickly today that today's bonus content, if you're listening to the show on your app, the bonus content for this episode is another clip from The Daily Show, which was hilarious, taking apart the idea that they actually allowed John Kerry, of all people, to be the wordsmith of sorts to try to rebrand into a more catchy slogan the cap and trade idea rebranding cap and trade to something else and the results are disastrous and hilarious so definitely check that out if you're using the app it's it's in that same place hit the extras button and there's a big button that says bonus content that's right where where it'll be hit that button and the video starts playing okay so of course that was huge news i had to touch on on the application because because it's a big deal but now I actually have just a story, and um, and it's still related to the podcast, and uh, benefits of this story are already being felt by almost every single one of you, whether you noticed it or not. So, so this, this is what happened. Uh, just, a, just about a day or two ago, I got an email um, from Jeff, and uh, Jeff knows who he is and, and why I'm telling this story, and uh, so I'm just going to read it to you real quick. He says, you know, love the show. Two shows a week are just right. The music is usually perfect and wide uh, eclectic range. You have uh, you've turned me on to the Young Turks. By the way, you have no idea how often I hear that, which I love because they're they're my favorite. So I, I love that uh, lots of my listeners are uh, are heading over and, and checking them out as well. He goes on and says, "I have one complaint and request. Could you please produce the show in stereo? I know uh, I know most spoken word is in mono, which is fine." But the music selections are so good, I'd rather hear them properly. And so he says, I know it's uh, it's slightly more bandwidth, and but it would be totally worth it. I, you know, and he's right. The the show is produced in mono because of bandwidth concerns. I don't want you know if if um, if you produce it in stereo, it becomes literally twice as big because it has two channels of audio instead of just the mono one channel. And so, you know, this question hasn't come up for at least a year and a half. I haven't messed with the settings. No requests have come in one way or the other. No one said, please put it in stereo. No one has said, you know, the, the file sizes are too large. And, you know, could, could is there a way to make it a lower quality to make it easier to download? It just hasn't come up. And so I started, I, put, I was putting some thought into it. And I was trying to figure out, you know, okay, I got this request. How can I conceivably satisfy this request because if one person's saying it other people are probably thinking it and um and so i went into my audio editing device uh, you know the software and i looked at my settings and found to my utter dismay um that the show was already being produced um in stereo effectively so and not to get technical but each each individual recording, like each clip and each bit of music, 
individually they were all being being dealt with as mono but then the show itself was being produced and exported to its final product as though it was stereo so I, I've been producing for at least a year and a half if not much longer I've been producing the show to be twice the file size it needed to be without any of the benefits so it hasn't been produced in, in stereo, so you can't enjoy the sound of stereo. But I've been wasting all this space as well. And so I thought, well, I guess if, if this is how much space I've been using and no one's been complaining, then I guess I can just switch it on and it'll be in stereo and it won't even take up more space and it won't take longer to download for anyone and everyone will be happy. So I did. And this show is the very first one in who knows how long that was actually produced in stereo, and so the music actually sounds the way it was intended to be heard. So this this phenomenon, I refer to, to things like this as... Um, actually, I just made this up, but I think it's fitting. Uh, I'm, I'm referring to it as my salt shaker moment because, uh, you know, my dad, he's a funny dude, and as a kid, I remember him telling me once uh, that, you know, when you're, you know, you're standing at a table or a counter or something and you absentmindedly kind of move your hand and you knock something like a salt shaker off the counter or off the table, something that's just there all the time, and you knock it off. But then, since you, you, you felt yourself knocking it, and just out of pure instinct, you grab it and you catch it before it hits the floor, and then you do a little celebration, maybe there are people in the room, and you say, like, oh, wow, that, you know, that was a great catch, way to go. Well, my dad's take on that was always... You know, like, okay, I, it, it was a good catch, I guess, but isn't everyone ignoring your clumsiness of knocking it off in the first place? <laughs> and and that's exactly what I did. Basically, I've been knocking the salt off the counter for years now, and Jeff just came along to mention, um, hey, hey, dude, you know you're knocking the salt off the counter, and then I caught it, and now I'm expecting you all to celebrate. <laughs> So anyways, that's the big news of the day. And if you remember from the very beginning of the show, I said there was some special music selections and hang out at the end for why. Well, the fact that the show is in stereo is the reason why I had the special music selections. And you're probably asking, well, what the hell was so special about that music? And the answer is, it's just like my 10 or 11 favorite songs I could find. I just, I, you know, I, I, I just picked the absolute cream of the cream of the cream of the songs that I like. And so if you were ever wondering what my favorite songs are, this episode of the show is is, uh, is the answer to that question. So fun times for everyone. And that story right there is the reason why you have to wait another four or five days to hear about my interaction with uh, Governor Martin O'Malley of Maryland. So that is it for today. You can support the show by telling five friends about it. Tell five friends about the application as well, of course, since everyone loves it and should... Uh, go buy it right now to keep it up in those ranks so more people will find the show you can become a member of the show and really support the show for as little as a little bit less than five dollars a month and you get extra features like the bonus feed uh, excuse me the raw feed and you know uh, the warm fuzzy feeling of, of knowing you're keeping the show going i just as i always say couldn't do it without the members and that uh, is absolutely literally true you can stay connected between shows by joining at uh, twitter.com slash bestofleft and facebook.com slash bestofleft. Uh, usually on, on a week, 
unlike this one where I was totally swamped by work uh, dealing with the launch of the application, usually I post lots of great stuff to those places uh, at all the stuff I find for you know during my research goes up on Twitter and Facebook so you can catch all that great stuff there and then links to the music and the sources used in this show and all the shows is always posted up in the show notes at the blog at bestofleft.com. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and border yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend. Thanks to the members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. Shining shoes.